Right. Hey, live. welcome everybody. This is episode two of the Decred Assembly. I am one of your hosts, Daniel. We have our other host, Tyler, over here, and special guest, Jake Yocum Pyatt, today is with us, one of the founders of the Decred Project. A lot of you know him as Batman. He does have a certain air of mystery that surrounds his name and his person. So, we're very honored to have him on today. Uh, very excited to talk to him, and and really just you know he's every time we've we've ever spoken to Jake, it's always been so serious. So it's going to be fun getting to hang out and just you know kind of ask him questions and you know uh, pick his brain. I know everybody wants to know about his cat. You know we've we've all been wanting to shave it very badly. So um, without further ado, you know uh, actually you know we'll we'll talk about the update first. Um, you know the big news on Decred right now is this version one update coming up. Um, that is the hard fork voting update. It is the big shebang. It is what everybody has been waiting on. Uh, it is what Decred is about, and that is actually about to happen. Now, the date for this hard fork voting update is going to be on the 25th. So that's definitely a date. You know, you're going to want to update your clients. You're going to find a new tab in your wallet, um, new options in the CLI wallet, and we are going to be able to vote on multiple issues. Now, the two issues that are kind of in the spotlight this go around are a or an update to the uh, SDIF or the staking difficulty algorithm, which should stabilize the uh, wild price swings that we've been seeing with the staking system. Um, we already talked about this briefly and I'll let Tyler kind of speak on, you know, why this is necessary uh, in just a moment, but that's definitely a big deal. We're all, you know, very excited to have that uh, as an option to vote on, and we all hope it passes very badly, um, as Dave stressed last time as well. Now, the other option we're going to be voting on is whether or not the development team should begin work on Lightning Network integration. Now, guys, this is no easy task. It is a lot of work, and a lot of times, you know, when you see these monumental big upgrades, we're going to vote on if the work should be done, and then we will vote again on whether the software should go live on the mainnet. So I'm going to give you over to Tyler, and he can kind of tell you um, why he thinks, you know, the SDIF algorithm is definitely something, you know, we want to vote on and we want to pass, and, and why we're excited about it being our first upgrade. Tyler? Yeah. Hey guys. <laughs> um, yeah, so regarding the SDIF algorithm, um, I think it's really important to move to an algorithm that makes more sense than right now because um, for anybody who's been buying tickets, um, you know, it, it's you're able to buy tickets one day and then it's like a two to three day wait. Everybody waits until the ticket price is a lot lower and then there's a surge in, in um, everybody buying tickets all at once because the price is so cheap. Um, unfortunately, all these fees are going back to the proof of work miners, um, which is inevitably increasing, causing a lot of competition in the market that's not needed. And I think there's, um, I don't know, we, we talked about this on the last show, but um, you know, moving to a new um, algorithm that that makes sense, um, I think, I don't know, works <laughs> should 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 be something that we all work towards. So I don't know, maybe, maybe Jake could actually speak to this better than I can. Well, yeah, I mean, I think if, if there were one, you know, the, the reason we settled on the stake difficulty for something to be in the first hard fork voting uh, session is because it's the most demonstrably, you know, uh, demonstrably 
suboptimal piece of decred currently. That is, all of us who participate in the staking system have to deal with these prices yo-yoing up and down and up and down. And then um, basically because the algorithm moves the price too much with you know, each interval adjustment can move up to up to a factor of 4x up and up to a factor of you know, 1 over 4 downwards. Due to that, uh, it has a very serious problem finding an optimal price. So for example, it'll hit a low point and you'll have a full ticket window and then the price rockets upwards for three more intervals where no one is really interested in buying. And then it, of course, bottoms back out again. So this idea of, you know, discovering what the right price for a ticket is, is somewhat broken in the context of the existing SDF algorithm. That's why we're really looking to replace it. And um, we've had a number of really great candidates uh, that have been put forward by the community on GitHub. And we've had an opportunity to test a number of them uh, using a, Dave Collins' is, uh, test harness called a DCR stake sim. So, you know, we, we've, been, we've spent a lot of time focusing on, on this for the past two months so that we get it as close to right as possible for when it uh, goes up for vote here in a couple of days. Yeah, that is fantastic. And, um, you know, Jake, as I said earlier, you know, everybody's kind of, you know, seen you give these serious talks, you know, very technical. Um, you are one of the founders of Decred. Um, what what led you to be one of the founders? I mean, did you see, you know, a problem with Bitcoin? I mean, why are you here? Well, I think that I think that Bitcoin is obviously an extremely interesting system, which is why, you know, back in 2013, I started a, you know, a project to do another ground up implementation of, uh, you know, of the consensus daemon and a wallet that works with it. So, you know, I found it very fascinating, this idea that you could remove trusted third parties from, uh, you know, the, the storage and transfer of value. Uh, I thought that was just fascinating, uh, you know, having over the years dealt with, you know, banking issues of varying degrees myself, you know, I can speak to the fact that not having someone involved there and just having it entirely automated was, I mean, just super attractive to me. You know, if you've ever sat in a bank for 30 minutes just to make a wire transfer, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, from there, I just, you know, even within the first year where we were doing this work, you know, from early 2013 until early 2014, it became pretty apparent that, you know, just like most open source projects, Bitcoin, you know, had a sort of a management problem, which is that, most open source projects are run in the form of a benevolent dictatorship. And there's also a lot of, you know, there's a lot of personality because when there's no money at stake, reputation is everything. So, you know, it just becomes a, a you know, a, a battle of wills and I want credit. And, you know, it just became something that I think it shouldn't be. And I really wanted to sort of, you know, figure out how to move past this sort of, you know, governance problem I saw right in my face in, you know, say late 2013, early 2014. Fantastic. And, you know, there is this kind of uh, mystery in the air surrounding Company Zero. Um, can you speak on, you know, what Company Zero is and what its relation to Decred is? Yeah, sure. Uh, company Zero is really, it's a, you know, it's a software company. Uh, we do software development. And, you know, in terms of what kind of software I'm interested in, I'm interested in software that you know, allows you as you to expand your individual liberties despite this, you know, climate of surveillance and, you know, sort of a police state that has risen up over the past several decades. So I feel like software is a very powerful, uh, you know, avenue through which you can empower the individual in a way that, you know, uh, reinforces and builds a better future as opposed to, you know, I'm just another person trying to take advantage of everything and spy on you and get $10 out of that times a million or whatever. 
So that's really sort of what we're after with Company Zero. And, um, you know, I thought that Decred was, you know, I'd been working on this on this Bitcoin stuff for a while, but it really wasn't going the way I'd, I had hoped, which, you know, in terms of open source development, there's no money in it. And as much as I, you know, I love to do it, it's, uh, it's not possible to su sustain a company on just goodwill alone. So you need to sort of figure something out. So I, you know, I sort of figured that, well, maybe if we can iterate on Bitcoin and do something interesting, well, then maybe we can, uh, you know, try to fix some of these problems with Bitcoin that include things like funding. And as such, uh, what Company Zero's role is in the context of Decred is that we we built out the rails, you know, we built the first, you know, test set of test tracks for everyone on a new kind of railroad is sort of the way I envision it. And we've pitched this to everybody to be like, look, this railroad is like a lot better than these other ones that exist. And, you know, that's why you guys should, you know, help us build out this railroad. And that's kind of the spirit in which we've developed Decred, which is we're sort of, we're there to push it and get it out the door. But at the same time, you know, we're, uh, we're really doing this for the common good. Um, gotcha. Um, so, yeah, re regarding, I guess, because, you know, Company Zero uh, also helped build BTC Suite. And, and you mentioned, like, you know, there's no money in this open source stuff. So, um, you know, how, like, what what motivated you guys to fund BTC Suite and then, you know, inevitably move into Decred? I mean, was that kind of the big plan or? Yeah, um, I mean, I I saw BTC, I saw Bitcoin and I still see Bitcoin. It's an extremely interesting piece of technology. It, yeah. it basically, it's the most interesting thing to happen to finance in 500 years. You know, ever since double entry accounting was invented by what is it? The Medici's back in Italy. It's pretty much the, 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 the neatest thing to have happened. You know, some people are, you know, would say, Oh, electronic banking and online banking. It's so amazing. You still have to do everything through the same, you know, uh, trusted third parties. And the idea that you can at least even partially eliminate the trusted third party problem is, is really amazing. And it, you know, it just, it removes so many conflicts of interest that are present in the banking industry. And that's, you know, that, that's the kind of thing that drew me to it. But then, you know, I got there, I was passionate, and then it was a question of, well, okay, what now? So we had, we had sort of <laughs> built out our own set of rails and said, you know, somebody built us an amazing machine. And I was like, look, I built another machine that does the same thing. And people are like, well, so what? And, uh, and, th and then we, you know, we, we figured, okay, let's, let's change up the machine and really sort of do something that people, you know, will pay attention to and we can also simultaneously monetize. Gotcha. And, and so like when we met with Dave last week, you know, he, he mentioned that, um, you know, building on, uh, you know, really building out the governance side of thing was, you know, one of his biggest motivations for Decred. Um, you know, is that what kind of drew you guys to, you know, go from BTC suite to launching your own altcoin, you know, Decred or, um, you know, what was your kind of motivation behind moving into that in, into that project from BTC Suite to Decred? Well, we, we just found it very frustrating to deal with uh, the, the, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't like to express a lot of ill will, but it was very difficult not to be an insider working in the context of Bitcoin. Because, um, you know, the, the Bitcoin core group is the, you know, is one of the two de facto powers in the Bitcoin space. There's really two powers in the Bitcoin space. Either you're a proof of work miner and, you know, you have the formal say so by, you know, you can block soft forks and not, you know, uh, signal for them. And, you know, 
those guys have a lot of, of one type of control. And then there's Bitcoin Core on the other side, which has all of the development control. So if you have a consensus, but it's not the consensus that's been co you know, coded by Bitcoin Core, it's not Bitcoin. And so, it, you know, basically getting into that, the only way, you know, that I saw that was even conceivable to gain any influence or, you know, basically have any real input into that system is to work on the Bitcoin Core code base, which we just weren't interested in doing. So it, you know, instead of it being a, you know, an open system where everybody has a say, it's really a system where, you know, a handful, maybe a dozen people on the Bitcoin Core side and a dozen people on the mining side really have all the say. So you know, we just figured there's got to be a better way to deal with this. And it just really, it felt like it didn't make any sense. You know, it's this, it's this amazing technology. We've gone, we're going to get rid of the trusted third parties in banking. And then we're totally going to stop there. So, <laughs> I mean, that's basically what I, you know, what I see as having happened, which is that there's this amazing technology that allows you to disintermediate things. And rather than trying to build on that and really like slam out all this extra infrastructure that does the same thing in different contexts, it just became about, well, you know, we're in charge here. So it became sort of power for its own sake, as opposed to we've got something really amazing here and we can build it out. And so, you know, I figured I'm like, that's it. I'm out of here. We're going to build it out and go do it somewhere else. Gotcha. Yeah, really cool, man. Um, now we've got actually a few questions from the, uh, I guess we can call it the troll box here <laughs> <laughs> on YouTube. Um, and we have uh, someone asking, you know, why do we have to lock these funds up when we vote? You know, what's the purpose of that? And, you know, why can't we just make it free? Um, so my answer to that question is, you know, you can't, you have to have skin in the game if you want to determine the future of the network. Otherwise, bad actors could purchase Decred, you know, vote in a way that adversely affects the network and then sell the Decred um, before they, you know, before it could impact their financial investment. So by locking your funds up, it's saying, okay, you know, I'm so confident in my decision um, that I have made that I'm willing to lock these funds up for a specific period of time um, so that uh, if, if something does happen, you know, because of my vote, that I feel it, um, I feel the consequences of my own decisions, essentially. Is, is that accurate, Jake, or? I think, that's pretty, I think that's pretty accurate. The idea is, is that, you know, um, if, you read the, if you read the original white paper by Adam McKenzie, that is, um, the idea is proof of sacrifice, which is that if you want to obtain a, you know, a subsidy for staking your coins, you have to basically be uh, be willing to accept what I what I you know casually refer to as proof of not at casino. Uh, you know, <laughs> you're not at the casino with your money. You're not gambling it. You're stabilizing the system, which is a positive thing, and you're voting, so you're giving input back into the system. So all of those things sort of justify there being a subsidy for you, you know, taking that action, as opposed to you know if every it, it, it's a poor system if the person who yells the loudest has the most voice. So we're trying to sort of go, how do we scale your voice? We scale your voice according to the number of coins you're willing to lock and basically de-casinoize uh, at any given time. Yeah, cool. Um, and somebody else in the troll box asked, um, do you have to continuously purchase tickets if you would like to continuously stake? Um, the answer to that question is yes. You know, um, when your tickets are called to vote and you know our block time is every five minutes, um, every block, five tickets um, are called to vote. And uh, if your ticket is, is one of those that is called to vote, you are rewarded for uh, that action. So, 
you know, that's when you would receive the word. Now, on on average, this time is 28 days, but it can take up to four months um, on ex- during extremely rare circumstances. After that four month period of time, um, and this is kind of a common misconception, you know, people have said, you know, what happens? Do I lose the decred that I put up as collateral um, for my ability to vote? The answer is no, you do not lose this decred. You do lose the fee that you paid for the ticket, but your decred um, that's kind of held in reserve for the ticket will be refunded to you. Yeah, um, and you, and you yeah. lose that you lose that fee immediately. Like as soon yes. as you as soon as your ticket gets pulled into the pool, that um, fee is gone. That fee is gone. <laughs> so, uh, and it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so Jake, uh, yeah, I had another question. So, I mean, it seems like you guys really kind of nailed the right timing on, you know, really building out a system of governance. And um, it seems like, you know, things kind of all came together, you know, near the right time, you know, all this Bitcoin um, FUD is coming out and, you know, there's hard forks and uh, Bitcoin Unlimited and SegWit still trying to get passed. And, you know, having this system of governance in place is, is really, you know, important. Um, and it seems like, you know, working on the, all this stuff last year no one really cared about um you know like you know dbt you know daniel remembers uh last year what it was like you know being being a big advocate for decred and it seems like you guys really hit the nail on the hammer just in time i mean you know yeah it's it's funny last year everybody was (laughs) laughing at us you know they they kept saying you know uh DBT, you know, like shut up about decred, or, you know, <laughs> stop talking about it. We're sick of hearing you talk about it, you know. And uh, I, I was persistent. I kept up, and you know, I, I wouldn't stop. And uh, it looks like you know everybody who did believe and kind of saw this vision is having the last laugh now. So, yeah, I, yeah. I think yeah, that's it's cool. So yeah, so Jake, <laughs> I, I you know, I guess I just want to know, like, you know, how did you guys kind of know that this was like you know just i don't know put you you guys put a lot of eggs in this basket uh you guys have been working pretty hard for the past year just to get to this release that we're coming up to now um you know can you just tell us more about that kind of decision that you guys made and and what drew you to sure design that's an unusually good question right so how did we how how did we see this coming so um (laughs) You know, as I said earlier, because we, you know, because we got in there and we wrote an alternative demon to, uh, you know, to Bitcoin D, um, we had a much different perspective and experience on things. Like if you're, even if you're, you know, an expert level Bitcoin user, you're not, you don't have to deal with these sort of, uh, you know, detail or sort of, uh, I want to say, High, uh, highly granular things. You're not that close to it. You know, you, you see, you see Bitcoin, you're like, Oh, it's great. It's amazing. And this and that. And then once you learn more about it, you're like, okay, that's still, it's still pretty cool. And then after a while, you know, you spend, you know, six to 12 months in it and you're like, man, this is kind of messed up, you know, and, and, <laughs> and you don't, you don't get that kind of uh, window on it unless you're very close to it. And, you know, if you're just interested in the money or, you know, you're, you're an investor and you're just hustling, you're like trying to find the best place for your capital. You also don't see that because, you know, you get blinded by the things like, oh, Bitcoin's doing great. So Bitcoin must be great. And it's like, well, Bitcoin's pretty cool, but I mean, it's, you know, a whole lot of it, you know, you could have just left it as is. And I think it still would have been just as great. And, I think that you know, seeing where things were going was a function of the fact that we got in there 
and saw things that other people didn't see. That is, we saw the, how the governance had pro serious problems firsthand when it was when we basically learned that you know what what is Bitcoin you know in terms of the consensus code is really dictated by a small number of people, and you know unless you cozy up to and politic with those people, you'll never really have a say in Bitcoin and you know what what its consensus is. So we had this window on this back in 2013 and other people were like, oh no, I, you're, you're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. I know these guys on the internet and it's like, hey, and it's no, and you're wrong. And I go, well, I'm sorry, bro. It's like B. And uh, that, that experience gave me the ability to go, you know what? I see where this train is heading and I'm getting off at this. I'm getting off early. I'm, I'm, I'll walk there. I'll get, I'll get on it, get in the car, whatever. This train is not my train. So um, that's really how we saw where things were going so that now we have a timely solution. You know, as you may have noticed, getting that timely solution in place took a couple years of hard work. <laughs> yeah. So Absolutely. that's how we kind of got ahead of things, which is that we got really close. We zoomed in way more than most people would. And then it's like, whoa, this is really a lot different than it looks like on the surface. And, you know, then we then that gave us the ability to sort of, you know, change gears and get into the right place at the right time. I felt like we were in, we were in the right place, just not quite at the right time. Well, you know, you could argue that it, it was the exact right time as well. I think the <laughs> amount of foresight that you guys had was absolutely incredible, you know, especially with everything that's come to light. I mean, they can't pass SegWit. Uh, you know, they were having issues with Litecoin as well um, on the Bitcoin network. And, you know, just this, these governance uh, issues that have presented themselves, you know, have created a perfect environment for Decred to thrive, which is really fantastic. Um, now, in the troll box again, um, you know, we, we have a couple of questions. You know, somebody mentioned that uh, there may have been um, kind of a slowdown on the network today. Would you care to you know, elaborate <laughs> on that little hiccup? Um, you know, was it really a big deal? Was it not? You know, what exactly happened and, and how was the situation rectified? Because the network is moving again. Sure thing. Yeah. Um, it's a bit of an embarrassing situation in the sense that, you know, nobody ever likes to admit that, you know, something broke and it was their fault. But I'm going to be un-American here and uh, take some responsibility on the dome. And uh, <laughs> somebody's going to kick in my door. Oh, my God. Uh, uh, what had happened was this, is that it was a, it was a question of coordination. Um, really, that D, uh, Decred's consensus code really didn't have any problems. But there was, uh, in order to do this hard fork voting that we're coming up on here, there is an extra version that we added that uh, that mining code both from the pool the pool the pool software side and from the mining client software side was not supported. Basically, uh, what we did is we added a four byte field called uh, the stake version. And the idea here is is that in order for us to do a hard fork a hard fork vote first or I, I believe these two things can actually happen independently, but basically two things have to happen before a hard fork vote can happen. One is that the block version must increment to the latest version. And what the block version incrementing means is it means that proof of work miners have upgraded to the latest, you know, the latest release. Then there is, um, there is something called a vote version, which when you are uh, a proof of stake miner, that is, you know, a uh, what is it, a, a stakeholder and you're voting, your votes are versioned according to the version of the wallet that's casting the votes. Now, after a certain number of those wallets in a fixed interval goes up to the most recent version, 
then the stake version also increments. So there's the block version that increments, then the stake version. And what had happened was is that we were on block version three, but we were on stake version zero. Then just very recently, in fact, this morning at 5 a.m., unbeknownst to me, uh, we, uh, we jumped to stake version three from stake version zero, which is good. Now, what that means is that means that the majority of proof of stake miners are running version 080 or later. And that's great because that means people are running very close to the latest software. But there's a downside to this, which is that uh, we had not realized that this stake version field um, was actually manipulated by the mining pool software and the mining client software. So we had expected that, you know, when the stake version three bumped in the header, it would just bump in the header and then it would be propagated straight through the, uh, the mining pool to the clients and then the clients wouldn't touch it either, and then they'd mine on, you know, on a header with a version three block, or uh, excuse me, stake version three, and then they'd put, they'd pass the solution back and everything would be hunky-dory. But in fact, what ended up happening was this, is that without, you know, uh, the way that, I wanna say it's the stratum, now you have to forgive me here because my, you know, my familiarity with the uh, mining pool software is relatively low, um, but the stratum server will uh, basically zero out these extra bytes unless you explicitly tell them, do not zero these bytes out. So what ended up happening was uh, DCRD would be queried by, uh, you know, by the mining pool software and go, I'm gonna do a get work request. The get work request comes back and it says it's a version three, you know, it's a version three uh, get work uh, response. But then the mining pool software zeroed out the version three and then pass that down to the miners. And then, the, and then further on top of this, the mining code assumed that the data in, the, in that field was zero and it actually explicitly zeroed that part out as well. So basically in order to, so what, so what happened here was once we tripped to stake version three, which is great because everybody's upgraded, it meant that there was you know, basically a problem with the mining pool software and the mining client software that was you know, sussed out and it led to all of that infrastructure going offline because basically what happened was is then mining pools were getting bad shares back from uh, you know from clients and that led to basically mining pools going you know grinding to a halt. So while the decred consensus code and the decred chain kept moving you know reliably, the mining infrastructure that attached to it was overwriting values that they shouldn't have been and you know, we take some responsibility for that. We should have been uh, more proactive with the, uh, you know, with the mining pools and the mining clients to make sure that all of this infrastructure went smoothly. But when we had tested on testnet, we did not test with this, uh, you know, with the mining pool uh, infrastructure, namely because it's closed source. So just, you know, we, we acknowledge that we should have done a better job in terms of notifying people about this, but it's not a catastrophic failure. Basically, it was, a, uh, it was an oversight because we didn't realize what the limitations of the mining pool and mining client software were and then failed to anticipate that in advance. Yeah, okay. well, and now, and now enough people have upgraded where the blocks are starting to, you know, churn out again. So do you, do you foresee this ever being an issue again in the future? You know, how can we, how can we prevent this from happening again? The, um, this particular issue is very unlikely to come up again because basically once this, uh, you know, once the mining pool software, uh, which has all been updated as, as to my knowledge and the mining client software, which is still in the process of being updated, once those are updated to not overwrite these stake version uh, field, 
then we won't have this problem anymore. We can have an upgrade and it'll turn over just fine um, now that this modification has been made. It obviously would have been ideal to not have this made at the last minute this morning. I mean, I feel like today was like a minus, it was, it was a minus one Sunday for me. It's like after working in the morning, it's like time to go back to work in the evening. So uh, it's, that's what, that's the net result for me is it's one of those, oh, this is not a good Sunday. But that's, you know, I, I'm glad that it's been resolved, but I, you know, I totally understand it was a big deal and uh, people were understandably concerned. Yeah, absolutely. And and we do appreciate you addressing that. Uh, you know, it, people, you know, and as Jake said earlier, you know, it is embarrassing to admit, you know, that you were wrong about something and, you know, that, that you kind of dropped the ball. Um, but, you know, that's something that we've seen time and time again with the Decred team. Uh, they've always been upfront and honest to it. And that's part of the reason why I'm here. Uh, you're never going to you know, see any shady business or kind of weird stuff going on with these guys. So um, we we have a question, you know, coming from the audience that was answered last time, but, you know, we'll briefly answer it again. Um, why is or how is SegWit not a top priority for Decred? Um, well, as Dave said last time, Decred already has SegWit, essentially, um, or the most important part, which is non-malleable transactions. Um, so we would, I guess, build upon what we already have to implement the Lightning Network if that vote passes. So that's kind of why, you know, you don't hear why is SegWit not a priority for Decred because we already have the most important part of SegWit. Um, so moving forward, Tyler, do you want to? <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. So somebody else has a question in the chat. Um, what thought went into choosing the balance between proof of work and proof of stake? And how is it balanced evenly? Um, do you, what, what, yeah. So, in, in regards to the design, um, you know what? You know, I've already heard the spiel on this. Hello. Oh. Is, Hello? is he still? Are you still there, Tyler? Got that latency. Yeah. Yeah. I'm here. That lag, son. Um. <laughs> So essentially, you know what? Why why do we have the particular balance of um, or the particular distribution of, of fees, you know, or not fees of, of rewards in the block? Um, you know, was there any kind of formula that led you guys to allocate specific amounts to the development subsidy POS and then POW miners? Now we argued about that a lot uh, prior to release. Now here is my logic for you know to some extent. I think we all agreed on the rough ratios. But once it got down to the nitty gritty of, well, it should be this percent, oh, it should be that percent, here's, here's, here's what I, I, you know, I'll take responsibility again here, which is I was the one who eventually was just like, that's it, we're choosing the numbers, here are the numbers, we're done. And the, uh, the justification goes like this. Proof of work is 60% and proof of stake is 30% because of the following. We have... Um, I figured that the development organization, the logic would go like this: If you can't do it with 10% of the uh, with 10% of the funds, you probably shouldn't be doing it. And I sort of, you know, I I, I take this as a history lesson from you know, like the you know uh, the United States back in the 1800s and so on before tax, you know, uh, income taxes got super out of control. Is the income tax was relatively low, and there was a huge amount accomplished with a relatively low income tax. And then, in times of war and around World War One, the, the you know the um, tax rate became really absurdly high. And you know, I just feel like ten percent is 
the most that we can reasonably put aside for the development organization without going, okay, that's just a waste of money. Then we work backwards from there to go, okay, we got 90% left over, what are we gonna do with it? And the reason that I set a two to one ratio for uh, proof of work to proof of stake is that proof of work requires actually buying physical computer hardware and running it and having the infrastructure to run it. And you know, in the, you know, so you gotta have the electrical, you gotta have the cooling, you gotta have all this stuff that you actually have to pay for. So the way I felt is, is that, you know, there were some arguments for, oh, proof of stake should have a larger share of this. But I, you know, I, I felt that it would be too much relative to the proof of work miners who need to be compensated to some extent for the hardware that they, you know, that they procure and maintain as part of their, as part of their job. And, you know, ultimately the reason that we set proof of stake to 30% and not 40 or 50% is that having it too high leads to an unrealistic semi-passive rate of return. That is, you know, you can you can lose money staking. You need to know what you're doing if you're setting up solo staking. But if you know what you're doing, it's it's a way to make a steady, pretty healthy return. And in the long, you know, in the near term, if the proof of stake were 40 or 50 percent, the rate of return for you know for you know for staking would have been absurdly high in my in my you know in my opinion. So that's why we sort of throttled it down to 30 and just ended up with a two to one ratio. We didn't basically there were some arguments that proof proof of stake should have been higher, and I was like, well, it should be a little lower, but not too much lower, and that's why I set it at 30. So, you know, in the future, I, I prefer not to change it just because, you know, the the um, the mechanics and incentives for changing that are, they get a little mixed up, but that's the justification for why it was set that way initially. Well, I, I happen to quite like the reward structure. You know, I think it's it's enough, but not too much. You know, it's like the uh, bowl of porridge in uh, Goldilocks. It's <laughs> just right, you know, and uh, it, 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 it really is, you know, um, I feel like enough to incentivize proof of work miners um, as well as the proof of stake miners, you know, to, to want to reinvest their profits, want to continue, you know, contributing to the success of the Decred network, um, which is good. You know, I think you guys put a lot of thought into that and I think that it works out. Now, something, you know, that people don't realize is that the rate of inflation for Decred, I believe, is it every three weeks it, it adjusts and, and it's actually lower. That is correct. The, yeah. the the way it works is every six thousand one hundred and forty four blocks, which as you as you mentioned, is roughly three weeks in in Decred land. Um, that uh, the the total block subsidy scales down by a factor of one hundred over one hundred and one. So that's roughly a one percent reduction yeah. every uh, you know every three weeks. So you know, rather than have these dramatic happening events like Bitcoin and other coins, you know, there's kind of a uh, a decay model where you know it slowly degrades over time you know and eventually you realize oh my gosh you know three years ago we were we were mining and, and creating a lot more decred than we are now <laughs> yeah. pretty pretty crazy you know for us long-termers to be able to think you know and in, in the future and you know when we were like oh do you guys remember when we were staking you know uh over one decred per block that was insane <laughs> <You know? laughs> and i know all of us are stakeholders especially jake um so professional bag holder is the title I prefer. He's a professional bag holder of Decred. You know, yeah. he, is, he is here to stay. Um, and I believe in the agreement, you're not allowed to sell any of your Decred at all until, is it February 2018? Uh, that, is, that is correct. Right. Um, you know, I'm in this for the long run. I mean, even after February 2018, I doubt I'm going to sell any coins. So, you know, that's... 
that's where that's where I'm at with uh, you know with what I've agreed to. So my agreement is to as of fe until February 2018, none of these coins will hit an exchange. Sure. You know, and that's, I think that's very honorable, you know, considering, uh, you know, I've heard in the past you say that you personally are financing this project with over $50,000 per month in uh, development costs. So that is very generous of you to, you know, hold on to those funds when, when you could be kind of reimbursing yourself and, and paying yourself back, um, you know, for everything that you have put into the project. Uh, that's, that's pretty impressive. And that's why we call you Batman. You know, <laughs> well, I mean, how can how can we build the future if we don't save for tomorrow, right? I mean, yeah. you know, you gotta spend it all right now. <laughs> you know, I, that's just not how I am. You know, like uh, I still dress like I'm a graduate student, so you know, uh, that's that's life for me. I I live humbly and I sit in front of a computer a lot. Yeah, we we all love our computer monitors, and you know, I'm sure that's why a lot of us are here right now. Um, now we've had a couple of interesting questions um, in the troll box, and you know, if you don't want to comment on this, that is your prerogative, you know, and you don't have to. But everybody, it's a troll box. <laughs> it is a troll box. Um, everybody is dying to just have you know a few little breadcrumbs about Project Charybdis or Charybdis or however you would like to pronounce it. Um, is 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 that still going to be a total massacre, or are we going to drop a little, you know, a few hints I here today? That, or, um, you know, I can I can give you a little bit of an illusion uh, to 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 what it's going to involve, which is that um, you know Project Charybdis is my spin on how we can take the First Amendment back and do it in a context where it's monetized and. You know, I have a very serious problem with uh, a lot of things that go on on the internet. For example, censorship, in particular, soft censorship. You know, there's a lot of censorship that goes on. You know, people complain about things like the Bitcoin subreddit, but, you know, it gets so, so much worse in so many other contexts when it comes to censorship. And I just, I can't stand it. Um, so it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a stab at uh, knocking that model down. With some transparency, so I won't get into the details. But Say no more. Say those no are more. some broad strokes. <laughs> Say no more. It's it is good. You know, everybody has been wanting to, you know, kind of have a few breadcrumbs for a while, and you know, we we mentioned Charybdis in uh, February, I believe. So, you know, you guys can can start speculating now and and start formulating, you know, what you think it is. Um, but that's all you get for now, unfortunately. It it is going to be crazy <laughs> uh, knowing these guys. Um, so, do you have a cat? For one, do you actually have a cat? We've we've never seen it. Um, and if you do, what is its name? I do not have a cat. Um, <laughs> for, so for, for, for some, what the talk about a decoy? Uh, you know, I can. What I can tell you is this: is that you know when I was younger, I grew up with uh, our family had cats from basically from when I was zero until I was twenty-one, and. Um, that basically, you know, I've always, I've always loved cats and I get along with people's cats when I go to their houses, but you know, I'm, uh, I like to have furniture that doesn't get destroyed. So that's where I'm at with cats, which is, Man. you know, I'll, I'll be so nice to them and I love cats, but it's like, I know there's a, yeah. there's a constant ongoing battle between cats <laughs> and furniture, especially nice furniture. So that's, yeah. uh. You know that's that's where I'm at with the cat. So there is no there is no cat to be shaved. If there were, yeah. I might <laughs> shave it just 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 for entertainment's sake. Oh, Maybe I could rent a cat and we shave that one. <laughs> well, I know a lot of people are going to be disappointed by that answer because you know everybody 
for quite some time has thought that you have this magnificent beast of a cat. So, uh, are a bunch of human rights activists going to kick in my door now? Yeah, pretty much. It, liberate the cat and shoot yeah. me. <laughs> here comes here comes here comes uh, the whatever it's called. Uh, cat agency cat social justice warriors yeah cat social justice warriors <laughs> hey yeah. can, can you guys hear me now yeah I, i've been able to hear you the whole time okay so Have it's you not been... lagging no, no it's, i haven't no, it's, it's pretty good um okay awesome. so you know we we know a little bit more about charybdis at this point in time um i think it would be cool if um jake if if you feel comfortable you know what what is your background you know you seem to know a lot about a lot of things and you know, are you uh, a computer science guy? Are you, um, you know, into, you know, what, what, what do you, what do you come from? You know, where, why are you who you are? <laughs> well, okay, so, so to give you a brief summary about, you know, what my background is, is that, um, you know, in my under, so in undergraduate and graduate school, I studied physics. Um, I was, a, I, I was fascinated with, uh, you know. High energy, high energy theoretical physics in particular, and string theory, and I spent a lot of time taking, you know, accelerated math classes, and then I, you know, I worked with, uh, you know, a couple professors at uh, University of Illinois where I was an undergrad, and never got anything published, and then I went to grad school and at University of Chicago, and, and that's where I've, that's where I got this, you know, sort of uh, technical domain knowledge is, you know, I can do I did math till most people just wouldn't care to do it. And, uh, you know, I really enjoyed science, but, you know, once I got closer to the finish line, I saw it was a lot more political than I ever expected it to be, which I feel kind of dumb about in retrospect. Like I should have figured out academia, that's going to be political as hell, but it, you know, uh, that, so that's how I accumulated all this knowledge. But then ultimately I just sort of, uh, left and did my own thing. And so between, uh, you know, between grad school and now, uh, I've done a whole bunch of different things, you know, chemical engineering, I've done uh, a bunch of order fulfillment, just, I mean, all kinds of things that most people would find incredibly boring. I've done a few things that people would probably think are very exciting, but, you know, that's sort of where, how I got here. So I have a lot of experience, um, you know, uh, breaking things down on, on paper into small pieces and then real world experience running businesses. So you know, the combination of those two makes me pretty well suited to uh, overseeing an engineering team uh, and, you know, software engineering works. I, I get it. And, uh, you know, I've always been a, a, a security software nerd, uh, you know, since, I don't know, sometime in 04 or 03, I started, you know, running OpenBSD. And then I basically became my own system administrator. I did that, you know, as a job, you know, full-time job for a while. And then, um, I turned it into something that I, you know, I turned it into an attempt at a business. So uh, I did that back with uh, CypherTight. That was an utter failure. It was like a high security online backup service. So I know a lot of things about computer security that other people don't care to know or don't want to know or think that I don't know or whatever. And, um, you know, I, I bring a different perspective to the table. I'm not trained as a computer scientist. I'm not trained as a system administrator. I am self-trained as a system administrator. And I was educated as, you know, somebody who potentially would have, uh, you know, be an, be an academic as a career. And that just didn't work out. So I was able to take that toolbox with me and put it to use elsewhere. So, you know, as somebody who is very concerned about his security, if, if anyone, or if, if people don't realize this, uh, Jake is actually on, on your wife's computer, correct? Uh, because yours have their cameras and microphones yeah, taped that, and stripped. That's, that's right. And it's a constant <laughs> battle about 
oh no, honey, you can't remove the microphones and cameras from my <laughs> devices, and you know, and get that phone away from me. You know, those things have microphones in them, and they're always on. You know, things like that. So I'm a lot more computer security conscious than most people are. And what what I find challenging and entertaining about it at the same time is is that you know, ten years ago, if I was saying these things, which in a lot of cases I was people think I'm an absolute lunatic. They're like, oh man, your cell phone can never <laughs> listen to you. Nobody has time to do that. And it's like, oh, your video camera never could be spying on you in your own house. And then it's like 10 years later, it's like, who was right and who wasn't? They're like, I don't remember you saying that, man. So, you know, that's where I'm at with, you know, uh, uh, computer security, which is that it, most people have this very consensus idea of what you can and can't do with a computer. And, most most of them do not realize how completely wrong they are. It's like, you know, I've had numerous arguments with people I've known over the years about things like when I said every single phone call that's ever been made is recorded somewhere underground on a hard drive, people are like, oh, you're totally nuts. And it's like that would fit in, you know, a small data center. And it's like, so guess what? This, you know, this Google Hangout is most definitely being recorded somewhere. And I acknowledge that. And I don't know. I mean, I live with it. So uh, I don't know. Well, well, we did that on purpose. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, wait, this is live? This is being recorded? <laughs> no. but, but, you know, kind of building on, on what you just said, Jake, um, Company Zero actually developed a secure communications technology Um would you care to kind of talk about that for a moment and, you know, how it works and what it does? And <laughs> Oh, sure. This is a, this is a, a, a direction I didn't expect things to go. Interesting. Um, so because I, you know, I'm about two or three steps ahead of what most people consider to be secure, there's, there's a lot of tools out there for secure communications. And the problem, you know, comes down to, uh, who's going to get paid? That is, you know, say when I, you know, when I, when I was, um, you know, making CypherType, it was a question of who is willing to pay or, you know, who's willing to monetize one of these services. And the issue that came up was basically that every service that, uh, you know, that ended up having a lot of money poured into it basically had to be monetized and monetizable. And that involved things like running on mobile and so on. And, you know, I like, I mean, like, let me give you an example is I think Signal is a very, uh, it's a very well thought out application, you know, uh, Trevor, Trevor Perrin from that, you know, he, he, he created this thing that, that's referred to as the double ratchet that encrypts every message. It's a, it's a one way ratchet. It's asynchronous. It allows you to encrypt every message going back and forth between two parties asynchronously using different encryption keys. It's great technology, but Signal runs on, on your phone as an app. And, you know, I don't trust a phone. There's, there's no amount of money you can pay me to trust a phone. So um, that's basically, so, so what somebody's telling me is there's a software, it runs on your phone, and it keeps everything secure on a device that's completely insecure. And, uh, you know, th that really got to me. So I basically wanted to uh, move the peg further for people who are a little bit more practical, but who didn't feel comfortable using these uh, apps on phones. And that's where sort of ZKC came from, which is I wanted something that did the double rat that made, you know, heavy use of the double ratchet because that's that's great. It's great infrastructure. But it didn't have the same attack surface where, you know, somebody can basically, you know, hit a couple buttons on a console somewhere underground and then, you know, be listening to your phone or your computer. So basically, I wanted to build a communications tool that would run on a lot of platforms, but not focus on mobile. And also sort of, you know, ratchet the security up as high as I reasonably could without, 
too much complexity. And so that's sort of the idea with ZKC, which is that um, I think that if I had to summarize it in a sentence, and this, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for people to parse this sometimes, but you can't prove that they aren't listening. As, as, you know, as crazy as that may sound, that's the whole point of encrypting all your communications, which is that ultimately all of these things are archived somewhere by someone. And so the only way to prove that they're not, you know, transparently all readable is to encrypt everything. So that's sort of my justification for ZKC, which is that, you know, why send it out? Why send it out over the internet when everybody can read it? And, and what exactly does ZKC stand for? Uh, zero knowledge communications. The idea being that it compartmentalizes the the uh, the, da the data that's being transmitted between various parties. You know, when when let's say you and I are communicating, both you and I know what each of each of the other said, right? right. So that you know that's about as tightly compartmented as we can get it. However, you know, in a lot of cases, the server that sits in the middle can see some of it. You know. They might be able to man in the middle of your keys. They might. There's a whole bunch of sort of attack models that could come up with a trusted third party, which is a server in this case. But what we tried to do with zkc was make it so we don't tr we don't even trust the infrastructure. So even the server can't read anything that's being sent. Um, for example, if if two people have access to a zkc server, not even the administrator of the server can read anything that's being said between the you know between the two parties. The only thing that they can glean is the metadata that say you know you and I have been communicating. And uh, you know that's sort of you know why it's zero knowledge. We just tried to minimize the uh, you know the number of parties that knew about each of these conversations. So so basically, I mean, uh, with a single server, let's say you had a hundred clients in a single server, you could have a hundred different chats, and most people only ever see one chat. You know, they don't see any of the other things going on. The server administrator could see some metadata, but that's about where it ends. And if you start attaching Tor and you know throwing in mixers and things like that, you know, it becomes even harder to see what's going on. So that's sort of, you know, why it's the zero knowledge communications. Yeah, pretty cool, man. And, uh, you know, it's, I think, you know, privacy is something that's on the roadmap. And, you know, you guys have already said, you know, time and time again, that you do have kind of an innovative, uh, different way of looking at privacy. And, you know, we're not going to discuss that until it, you know, kind of comes out and, and it's fully developed and it's done. Um, which is exciting to me. You know, I, I kind of want to know what, what the heck you guys are up to and, you know, what you're working on. Um, but, of course, you know, I'm going to have to wait like everyone else. Um, but it is nice to see that you are as concerned with privacy as you are and that you, you know, not only are concerned, but you have extensive experience um, with securing communications and, and, you know, your own, I guess, you know, kind of computers and, and things like that in your own server. So, you know, I think everybody's very excited to, you know, kind of see what you guys are working on. I know I am. Yeah, I mean, I hope that, uh, you know, because we're going to be surprising people a bit, I hope that we don't disappoint anybody. But at the same time, I mean, people compete like really serious. I mean, even say, take this recent, uh, you know, like paper uh, attacking Monero's anonymity. Uh, <laughs> you know, that when I saw that paper, I was like, man, it is getting it is getting real in the Whole yeah, Foods parking lot. Cutthroat. <laughs> <laughs> Very cutthroat. Mm -hmm. how, mu how much longer do we have to wait? When's uh... oh privacy? Yeah. So so in terms of rough road, you know, like immediate roadmap things. There's a few things that we're going to be, do be doing right after one uh, 1.0. So the first thing we're going to do is is that you know it's going to take about a month or two for the uh, vote tallying to begin, 
And then when the vote tallying begins, um, you know, we can get a sense of where things stand with people wanting us to do the LN integration. In the meantime, um, we're, we're, you know, we're going to start moving some of the pieces, assuming that uh, the LN vote will, will go yes, but uh, we're not going to do an enormous amount of work before that, before that moves. So basically, um, there, there's talk to begin work on, on syncing LN, but not actually do any of the syncing. Uh, this, uh, some of this work would be done in BTC suite. So it doesn't lead to direct action on the uh, DCRD code base, but we would sync from that code base to DCRDs. Um, then, you know, parallel with that, we're also going to be designing the proposal system. The proposal system is basically going to be a, it's an off-chain, uh, you know, uh, ledger of data that is episodically anchored on chain. Um, so we're going to be going through how that's designed, uh, you know, what the right way to build it is, what's the wrong way, and, you know, we're going to open up discussion about that after we have sort of a proof concept ready to uh, start discussing with people. And then, um, you know, as, you know, once the proposal system is in place and we get to the point where we're starting to tune it down, you know, the, the, the system is up, then it's, a, then it's a question of going, what is this, what is, what is the proposal system doing right and what is it doing wrong? And we have to put some guardrails on it because otherwise, you know, what's to stop somebody from showing up and going, I want to, I want to buy a yacht and put Decred logo all over it. And then people <laughs> vote for it, and then it's like, oh, well, there's no big vote. Unfortunately, <laughs> I think that would get my vote. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But 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 the, the point being, the, the purpose of these development funds is really to um, to act as sort of a uh, a fund for building infrastructure. In order for Decred to be successful as a project, there's a lot of things that have to happen with it. I mean, right now we have the luxury of having a lot of buzz. And our size is relatively small compared to the amount of buzz and speculation that goes on with our tokens. But in order to really get in there and start integrating things and, you know, uh, making a difference and, and really, you know, creating closed loops in Decred so people can pay and, you know, both be paid and pay in Decred, that takes a lot of work. And, you know, I recognize that that's why we're putting this, these funds aside so that we can, you know, spend them later. So the idea is, is that it's sort of an infrastructure account. So it's like, you know, you want to build highways, you want to build high, you railroads, you want to build, you know, like drinking fountains. That's the kind of thing that we're thinking about here, albeit in the context of a cryptocurrency. Gotcha. Yeah, and what, really, and what, really was there another part to the question? I'm sorry, I, I went on for a bit there. I don't know. What were, what were we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> it's Sunday! Yeah. Oh, uh, privacy. Privacy is coming. Yeah, just, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, yeah. In terms of the roadmap. So after the, uh, after the proposal system is, the basic proposal system goes, goes into production, we'll, we'll be fiddling with that for another several months so that we get it right, so that we can avoid things like, oh, I want to buy a yacht and put the logo on it. We don't want that to happen. So we need to basically put guardrails on that. With that, we can do that simultaneous with the work being so, done. So is it going to is it going to cost Decred to make a proposal? Yes, and the way we'll work, the way we'll do this is as follows: is is that we're we're going to start with a low barrier to entry. See who shows up. If people start showing, you know, sending spam like "Oh, I want the yacht" and like all this dumb stuff starts <laughs> coming, we'll. We'll gradually, dial, we'll gradually dial up how much people have to pay to submit a proposal. And then the other thing that actually was proposed by Dave C. was that 
if the proposal, uh, if a proposal gets through and it doesn't receive some certain minimum percentage of yes votes, um, the fee you paid is not refunded. But if it's reasonably well received by people, like let's say you put somebody puts up like kind of a joke proposal, shaving the cat. Yeah, exactly. Shaving the cat or whatever. You know, as long as it's in good humor and you know people people are being fun about it. I think that you know the idea is is that we want people to pay as a as a you know as a deterrent to people to just spam it and like cram the cram the suggestion box with like obscene stuff like you know you know eat up uh, you know or whatever. So, so and, and and those fees where where are those fees going to go? Are they going to get? We um, would probably have the fees go to like some sort of special escrow account with the dev org or something along those lines. So it would just sort of it would sort of circle back. It, it this wouldn't be uh, it isn't really a means of generating revenue so much as a spam prevention, uh, you know, countermeasure. Sure. And I I even think it it might be an interesting idea to explore um, if a proposal is passed, you know, with flying colors, maybe the fees um, are re- are uh, refunded. To well, whoever, that's exactly what I was saying, which is that as long as you get above a certain, excuse me, minimum threshold. What would happen is is that then the fees would be refunded. Yeah, I think that's the right way to do it. I mean, if you have a good idea and you know, and you're willing to put up your decred to uh, to put that idea forward, you know, it's cool that you you know are going to be able to get it back. And you know, just for putting your idea out there, you shouldn't have to just lose it. You know, if if your idea is actually a good idea. Yeah, exactly. And, and maybe, I mean, maybe maybe you could talk real sorry. Um, no, maybe you could talk real quick after well, while I'm on the train of thought. <laughs> um, about the dev subsidy, because I'm sure a lot of people just think like, oh, this dev subsidy just goes back to the devs and that's what's paying for development and stuff. And um, I think somebody in the troll box asked a question about the pre-mine that happened in, in the beginning and, and maybe you can speak about all of that stuff and like the internal economics of how um, sure. the project is kind of internally being funded and, and where sure, the so- subsidy is being spent right now and so forth. Sure thing. So what anyone who watches the dev subsidy is aware of is that we've backed up quite, uh, you know, quite an enormous, uh, you know, amount of decred in there. I, I, I'll be honest, I don't even check it on the regular just because I only spend it at the end of every month when I pay the contractors. So the way it works is this, is that the dev subsidy is not owned by Company Zero. The dev, the dev subsidy is held by, you know, by a separate LLC. And the idea is, is that the dev subsidy has only been used to date to pay external contractors who are not company zero um, for services they've rendered. And this is typically comprised of like a handful of things, which is uh, there's marketing, um, there's uh, documentation. We've, we have an enormous amount of documentation to write and you know we've had a number of contractors working on that for several months now. And uh, so Daniel here is, is one of our marketing contractors. And then we have some development contractors and the development contractors, you know, write software, uh, you know, there's a user uh, Rada and then uh, chat JC. And then a lot of the other development work is done by company zero, which now that work to date has been done pro bono. That is, I recognize that in order to bootstrap Decred, a, a certain amount of TLC needed to be put into it and the money to pay for that had to come from somewhere. But because the exchange rate was so low early on, we could not self fund, you know, via that route, not to mention the optics of it just didn't, didn't feel right to me. The idea that all of the dev subsidy out of the box goes right back to company zero. I didn't like it. 
So I figured, you know, it would do the, the project some good because I, I knew I was going to be around for a year, but not everybody else did. And, you know, I just piled it high in knowing that, you know, as long as we kept running the ball and doing a decent job, that the exchange rate would likely go up, at which point those funds would become substantial and significant and allow us to basically do a lot of other things that, you know, when the exchange rate was a dollar or two, it really didn't allow us to do. So, you know, my monthly spend is something somewhere between sixty and $70,000 a month um, on development costs. And... I take no salary. I, I've never taken any salary, and I I don't plan to. But I am a you know I'm a majority owner of, of Company Zero LLC. So the pre mine, the funds from the pre mine were based on the fact that in order to build the decred infrastructure, you know the decred code on top of BTC Suite, that cost roughly three hundred thousand dollars, and that amount was the amount that. I ended up attributing to company zero the amount of money that we would have needed to, you know, to, you know, to stuff in company zero's pocket to pay for the whole of BTC suite would have been absurdly high. It wouldn't have made any sense. It would have been, you know, like a couple million dollars. And I, I didn't think that was fair in the context of where I expected the exchange rates to start and the amount of, you know, coins I wanted to pre-mine. So basically we tried to keep, keep the pre-mine small and give, just enough pre-mine so that, uh, you know, we were incentivized to keep the ball rolling for another, you know, several years as opposed to, oh, we're just going to show up here and pump and dump this and walk away. So that's sort of the mechanics of the breakdown. So basically, you know, the, the dev work funds have not been touched by company zero, but I do administrate those funds. And in the long term, what, you know, what the idea is, is that with all of this infrastructure, the proposal system, and then ultimately connecting the proposal system to the uh, dev work funds, is that that infrastructure will, base, will essentially replace me. We're going to build smart contracts to replace what I do for the dev. I'm going to re replace myself with smart contracts, but, but, but <laughs> non-Turing complete ones. And, and eventually, I imagine some of the dev subsidy will be utilized to help uh, fund continue to fund uh, Company Zero's. Um. Yeah, to pay Company Zero for development work. And, you know, I know some people were interested in, you know, Decred doing some charitable things as well, um, you know, kind of giving back to the community. So those are all things that, you know, we could vote into existence. Oh, so, okay, so I did forget. I did forget the the other thing. So you brought up a good point about my, you know, my, uh, my plan was this, is that I wanted to have company zero do the dev work to propel decred to the point where it was self-funding at that point uh company zero would then become a contractor for decred and basically get paid to cover development costs and with the way the exchange rates go on we're well beyond the point where the where the income for the uh development organization far exceeds the development costs that you know that i've been running up so I think, you know, the milestone I had set internally was after 100 is out on mainnet and hard fork voting is a feature, at that point, I'll start to actually bill uh, the dev org for the work done. Gotcha. Awesome. And I think circling back to my original question, <laughs> when are we, we going to see privacy? When, is, when are I we going to get privacy on Decred? Work on privacy really will begin, I think, let's say... Uh, I'd say before October, but probably not by much. The idea being we really want to get that proposal system in place and tuned down. And the tuning of the proposal system can go on while the privacy system is, uh, is worked on.
the idea being that uh, you know the privacy system we, we got to get the proposal thing working then we go okay somebody you know a number of people will have to supervise that and then we can start working on the next piece of infrastructure building out these pieces of infrastructure takes a lot of work you know we put a lot more thought and time and energy into this than other projects have but the uh, you know, we're building this infrastructure slow. We're not doing it all in one big bang to be like, oh, you can do A and B and C and D and E and F. We're, we're going, okay, you can do A and we're very, you're, we're going to be very careful about B. And so we're building backwards to the point where, you know, there's no, where, you know, I'm replaced by things that run on silicon. <laughs> yeah. That's Sweet. Awesome. Sounds um, good to me. Yeah. <laughs> So, and, and somebody says, have you guys thought about doing aggressive advertising campaigns with extra funds? Um, I know that this is, uh, you know, a funny topic for you guys because, I mean, you guys just don't chill. You guys, like, don't chill your shit. You just, you guys, uh, you know, continuously kept um, having these uh, periodic releases about monthly for the past year. Um, and, you know, we, we saw very little marketing um, until recently, until after you guys released your roadmap, and, and maybe you can talk about kind of um, your marketing plans and and um, your thoughts on you know shilling <laughs> shilling <laughs> shitty projects versus <laughs> building great projects. I don't know. <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe maybe Daniel should take that away. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I mean, well, so I mean, I. It's amazing to me how, uh, so back in like January, I don't know how many people know about the backstory. In January, uh, Daniel was like one of our, was one of our, uh, one of our investors, AKA bag holders. And he was super upset, you know, cause he's like, oh, this exchange rate is tanking, it's crap. What the hell is this? And he got really upset. And what, what was really fu the funny thing to come out of this was with even a little bit of work on just on his part without, you know, before anybody else got involved, you know, the exchange rate starts to turn around in like almost no time flat. So, you know, uh, there is a lot of power in marketing in terms of, you know, drawing people in and, you know, getting investors and getting people excited about this project. So, you know, in the long run, I'm one to not blow it out on uh, advertising. I just don't want to sink too much money into it all at once. It's easy to, uh, if you go too hard at anything out of the box, it's very easy to waste a lot of money, as I've learned personally in the past. And, you know, as, as Dave said in our uh, talk last week, you know, the technology and the software speaks for itself, you know, and, and the last thing that we want to do um, for our investors, many of them are long-term holders, is create this wonderful environment that's conducive to uh, day and swing traders. You know, I know you guys would like to see us drop you know, $20,000 on a crazy ad campaign, you know, just because we can, you know, the current value of the funds and the dev organization is whatever, $3 million right now. So, uh, you know, there, there is, there is money to spend, but, you know, Jake has been a fantastic custodian of that money. You know, he has not spent what is not necessary. Um, we want that money to be available for uh, the organization when we are able to vote on how to spend it. And I think everybody will appreciate that that money is there and is not spent when we can all come together and decide on how we should use it. So 
just moving forward, you know, we are doing a PR campaign right now. Um, it's through PR Newswire. They do a lot of cryptocurrency and, you know, Bitcoin advertising and things of that nature. You guys, I'm sure, have seen the PR release on uh, Yahoo Finance, among other networks. So it is, you know, we are doing what we can to get the word out, you know, not to mention um, we heavily market on Twitter. You know, we have a very strong community there. Um, just some statistics from the last month. Our Twitter profile generated 40,000 profile visits and over 480,000 impressions, which is quite impressive, uh, I would say, for a cryptocurrency. Um, you know, and, and we don't post all the time. You know, we, we do post often, but it's not, you know, like a constant like volley of shit posting like my personal account. Um, <laughs> so with only, with, only a t with only a touch of trolling every now and then, yeah, only a t only a touch and only a touch of instigation. <laughs> but you have to have fun, um, you know. And and we'll we'll start trying to wrap this up soon, uh, because you know last episode was two hours long, and you know a few people did express that that was a little lengthy. Although you know Dave was a fantastic guest, and we got some excellent content out of that. Um, but you know marketing moving forward is something that we are going to be able to decide on as a community. And our current marketing efforts, um, the strategy has been kind of grassroots, you know, bring people in who are interested in holding this, you know, uh, token, bring people in who want to contribute to the ecosystem, bring people in who want to vote and who want to stake. You know, as holders, you don't want us to create a bunch of hype and all these promises and things like that. and have the day traders and the swing traders bid the price up on the exchange and you know you create this environment where the price goes up and then it goes down and then it goes up and it goes down and you know a lot of you sell the top and then you're mad and you try to buy back lower and now you have less decred it's just it's just a bad situation um so moving forward and and this is just kind of the nature of the beast when we have the ability to vote and allocate funds if you guys want to drop 50 grand on marketing and that's what everybody wants to do. I think, you know, while I don't agree with it, that's what we're going to do. So uh, for now, you know, I think just uh, being as conservative as possible um, has been an excellent strategy and, you know, relying on the community to kind of initiate this grassroots movement has been an excellent strategy. As you've seen, our price has grown over 2000% this year, um, which eclipses really any other, um, cryptocurrency project uh, that is considered well, and, and they, to be legitimate. And yeah, they, tried to, they tried to leave us out on Coindesk, on that Coindesk article. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, uh, then the Brazilian community got after them. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see the comments on the article? Oh. <laughs> it was just like 20 comments long all about Decred. Yeah. Where's Decred? Where's Decred? So, <laughs> they had to rewrite the article. And they did. They added us in, and, but. you know, we... we we have had issues, you know, being on like CoinDesk and Cointelegraph. Um, you know, I think we, as I said last time, we are an underdog, you know, and, and people don't want to see us succeed. But it's the efforts of the community that is, you know, that are propelling this project forward. And without the community and, you know, without you guys being here and, you know, being here to support, you know, myself and Jake. And, you know, I know Dave just loved his interview last week. He, you know, loved getting to talk and hang out with you guys. We're going to have him on again at some point. Um, but, you know, your support means everything. And if you guys can continue to give everyone that support and, you know, it keeps everybody optimistic, it keeps everybody working hard. Um, and we do have a lot to be optimistic about. And just to kind of summarize things, you know, you got a little, a, a few breadcrumbs about 
Caribdis today, uh, which <laughs> you know, I'm very excited about. Um, you know, we kind of learned a, a better time frame in the anonymous technology, and also kind of gained insight into uh, the into Company Zero and you know Jake as well. Um, which is very exciting. You know, he's obviously a very intelligent guy, and he's been a fantastic custodian of the Decred Holdings Group. Um, he's managed our funds very well. I trust this guy a lot, um, and I'm very, very proud to, you know, be able to say that he is overseeing, you know, this so far. He's done a fantastic job. Um, but if anybody has any, you know, kind of like final questions, we can go over those. Um, and if not, I guess we can wrap it up. It's been a fantastic hour and 15 minutes. It's been a lot of fun. It's been great. Everybody looks nice. Jake's well, hair's on fleek. You know. <laughs> well, there, there is one thing I'd like to add. Uh, the coin artist puzzle does go live with the release. Yes. And currently it is valued at, I want to say, over $8,000. So there's over 500 <laughs> decred in there. Um, and I know a little bit about this puzzle. I helped verify that it works. And um, there's definitely, um, you're not going to need to be a computer scientist or a hacker or something to be able to solve this. Um, I think I think anybody, it, it's kind of meant for anybody to be able to have a shot. The so, people's puzzle. The people's puzzle. <laughs> the people's right. puzzle. For us, so, by yeah. us. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody so, was uh, so excited about the first puzzle because everybody could contribute, you know. And I still remember, I mean, I, of course, Tyler and I, I think, knew the solution, you know. But I was like, whoa, you know, this is so cool. Like, we can hide, you know, this image inside of, you know, like, this is like Inception, you know. And, like, I feel like Leonardo DiCaprio right now. Like, I'm, you know, I'm, like, diving in and I'm, like, doing all this. I feel like, you know, I feel like a straight-up hacker. And, and that was really cool. So this puzzle is, you know, the community is going to come together like that again. And, you know, these – other puzzles had big rewards, and you know it's fantastic to bring these brilliant minds into the Decred community that we're able to solve those puzzles. Um, but this is anybody can solve this. I mean, anybody watching this video right now has an opportunity to win over eight thousand U.S. dollars, which is pretty crazy. And you know what? Five hundred is enough to have tickets and see them vote every couple of days, which is really cool. So you know, we do encourage whoever wins. Um, you know, of course, it's your money. You know, uh, th that is a lot of money. If you, if you want to pay off your mortgage or whatever with it, uh, that's your prerogative, and, and we want you to do that. But, I mean, if you want to begin staking and have a voice in this community, you know, uh, we'd really love to have you here, whoever you are, uh, future winner of the mad <laughs> cash from the Puzzle Prize. Yeah, turn your decred into more decred. Yeah, more decred, racks on racks, decred on decred. Um, you know, it's a good place to be. Now... Uh, just, you know, we've kind of already summarized the episode. I know I've had a lot of fun today. Um, we have been talking to Charlie Lee as a future guest. It's not 100% confirmed yet. We need to kind of work out the details, but we think it'd be really cool to get him on here, you know, kind of talk about proof of activity, um, you know, why he originally wrote about it and, you know, what uh, kind of his, what, why, why did he shield Decred so hard, you know? Um, <laughs> I will why, say why is he such a big member in our community? Yeah, so. why, and and uh, seriously, Charlie's in our uh, Slack channel every day. Um, usually trolling people, which is fine. Uh, <laughs> I do like to dabble myself, but um, yeah, he's he's an awesome guy. Uh, we're you know, as I said last time, we're very fortunate to have him as a community member. Um, you know, in this project, he has definitely contributed more than his fair share. So, if anybody uh, does not have any final questions? I think we will wrap this up. We'll give you guys about 
15 seconds to say something not ridiculous in the chat box. and Maybe we can address it. Yeah. Well, Jake, do you have any final last words? Yeah, do you have any closing um, thoughts? or um, Yeah, closing thoughts. There you go. You know, I was thinking about how to best phrase this, but maybe we could rent a cat. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's all I got. I'm, 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 I'm out of material. <laughs> and on a high note. All right. Okay, guys. Well, Thank it you. has been yeah, a fantastic day. Um, Tyler, it's always a pleasure to have you here and as you, a host Daniel. of the show. I, I had a <laughs> lot of fun. You guys are bros, and it was great to hang out with you. To the audience, uh, hit that like button. Share this video. We want everybody to see this video, see what a cool guy Jake is. I think this is the first time you get to see Jake um, – just be himself, you know, and he is definitely a cool guy. And if you come by Slack, he's there often if you want to hang out with him and talk to him. Um, he does love it when the community sends him direct messages. So, you know, if you feel inclined, you know, go ahead and, and reach out. Um, <laughs> but anyway, it, no, this is... Don't, don't be inviting people to PM me. That's too much. That's too much. I can chat in the channel. Yeah, J, JK, JK on that. Um, but, you know, he, he, he is in the channel. He is in the channel. Uh, reach out to him. Make sure to... Uh, bust his chops about that cat that he lied about you know i'm i'm honestly pretty upset about that and we will see you guys on episode three of the decred assembly next week that is going to be sunday at 6 p.m now